0: Alright, so this evening we're going to continue on um, looking through the book of Revelation and we did some introductory thoughts last uh, Sunday evening but tonight we're going to have a look at the Saviour of Revelation where we're going to get a glimpse of the Lord Jesus Christ and um, just to say that it is the Lord Jesus Christ in all his majesty this is not the Lord Jesus Christ (laughs) let's get that right off the bat now I don't know who that is but number one, he's not Jewish. Number two, that's not the Lord Jesus Christ, even in his earthly representation, nowhere near it. That's the Roman, westernized Jesus. And when we get to Revelation chapter number one, and, and we look, we're going to look at verses 10 to 19, we're going to see uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this is kind of the best representation I could find of, of what, and this does not do it justice in who's being revealed here. This is no meek and mild hippie. This is the Lord Omnipotent being revealed. And, and John, as he, as he has this, is writing down on the inspiration of the Holy Ghost and, and he, he, he's writing as best he could and, and his best words don't even get near. The true Glory. Of the one who is revealed in the book of Revelation. We're going to have a look at the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the one that's revealed in the book of Revelation. He's the one that's written about in the book of Romans. For of him and through him and to him are all things. What does all mean? All means all. And that's all that all means. To whom be glory forever. Amen. For of him, through him and to him. That's completion are all things the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And this is the Lord Jesus we're going to see. This is the one that's being revealed. And we're going to focus in 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 verses 10 to 19 and just pick out some thoughts again. You know, this is more teachy than it is preachy, but there has to be application in there because this is God's revealed word. It's not just for a dusty study. It's not just for those that are interested in prophecy. It is for the body of Christ. For today, as much as it was. Then and as much as it is for the future, it's for us today to remind us of the sovereignty of God. We read last week in Revelation one verse three that there are blessings for those that read and understand the book. There's seven blessings found throughout the book of Revelation. You can find them in your own time. And here we're introduced to Jesus. That's Revelation. Remember, Greek the revealing. It's the unveiling of Christ. It's not the revelation of. St. John the Divine, or whatever your Bible wants to say. This is the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is introduced to us as judge, as king, as the glorified one. And what a picture it is of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the Saviour of Revelation. So let's read it together. Well, I'll read and, and you can look along in your scriptures and we'll go to verse 10. Of Revelation chapter number one. And you know, I don't know about you, but I always feel that when when, when the Book of Revelation is read, it has a power to it. That uh, not that the other books lack, but it just it has something about it. And and that's why it's such a blessing and it should be a blessing. But let's read of the Revelation of the Saviour. first 10. And I was in the Spirit in the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am, let's put a comma in there, Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What they say is write in a book and send it on to the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the chest with a golden girdle or a golden band. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in thy right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks and the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches." So even in that just portion of Scripture, in the reading of those words, as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, what a revelation it is. Like I said, this isn't the picture postcard Jesus of Romanism that's slapped around everywhere. This is the Lord of glory. Glory. And it is an amazing revelation, it's an amazing unveiling, and we're going to get into that, but before we do, I just want to take a little tiny pit stop in in verse 10 of Revelation 1, because, um, or verse 9, sorry, because, you know, I want you to notice what John says, and I love this, and sometimes these little things can just go amiss when we're, you know, and rightly we should be focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, but, I I like what John writes here. He says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the Isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So notice what John says, your brother and your companion. That's how he introduces himself to his reader. And remember, this is a letter and it goes to the churches. We're going to look at the churches that it goes to. Uh, next week start, starting into the seven churches of Asia Minor so there is a, a body of believers an assembly that are going to read this and, and John introduces himself as their brother and their companion and what I think is the amazing thing about this and it is amazing it shows you the humility of a true follower of Christ because at this point what makes John unique at this point in history remember the date 80, ninety-five to 97 what makes him unique He's the only one. He's the only one that was in the presence of Christ as a disciple, still alive. The Apostle Paul, who, who met Christ on Damascus Road and believe I believe further was taught by him in Arabia, he, he, he's gone. All the others are gone. They've been martyred for their faith. He alone stands as that unique person that has walked with Christ under his ministry, been selected by him and have the privilege of being his disciple an apostle. And yet John doesn't mention that. He doesn't mention that. He doesn't bring himself up as the last standing holy man to be reverenced. Doesn't put himself up as some pope. He just simply says to his readers, little old people, that he may never have met, probably a lot of them he hadn't, and he writes to them with this great revelation. And him, him in his standing as the apostle, the one that loved the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that was privileged to be in the inner circle, the one that was on the mount of transfiguration, the one that was with Jesus Christ and was loved by Christ, simply says, Your brother and your companion in tribulation. Not, I'm on the holy hill, revere me. I'll stand back while you all do the work. You know? Do as I say, not as I do. No, 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 no. He says, I'm your brother. I'm your companion in what? Tribulation. He says, I'm on Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of God. He's been a martyr. Remember? It's not death. It's witness. And he is in Patmos exiled because of his faithfulness to the word of God. And he is in the very place where God wants him to be to receive the blessing that he's about to receive. He's walked the path of persecution. And here he is, right at the place where God wants him to be. He's been willing to put his faith into action. And because of that, because of that, he is about to have this amazing experience this amazing blessing where the Lord himself is going to reveal all future history to John. He's walked the path of persecution and that's got him to the place of blessing. That's upside down from the world's thinking. So from the very start of this, number one, I can look at John and I can say that beneath the feet of Jesus we're all equal. We're all equal. And to be in the place of blessing at times we means we have to walk through the hard place and be true to God's word, wherever that takes us. But if we are true to God's word and his will, wherever that takes us will be the place where God wants us to be and that's where we receive what God wants us to have. And that's where John is. And he's about to get this amazing revelation. He's exactly in the right place, with the right spirit, with the right attitude. And the Lord reveals himself to him. So let's have a look at this revelation of the Savior. And here's the first thing that I want you to see. It's a revelation of divinity. It's a revelation of divinity. Look at verse 10. I was in the spirit in the Lord's day and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am, again comma in there because it is the name, I am, the self-existent one. Alpha and omega, the first and the last. Notice we did this last week, didn't we? Alpha and omega, first and last letter of the Greek, alphabet. What is the alphabet used for? For everything in terms of knowledge and communication, and the Lord saying, "I am all knowledge, I am all wisdom, I am omniscient, all-knowing. And it's only God, only God that can be the alpha and the Omega. We have to understand that. So he says, "I am the alpha and the Omega." then next he says I'm the first and I'm the last the beginning the end I'm there at the start but I'm also there at the end With this we looked at this last week it's omnipresence he's all present and the all-present one and the all-knowing one is ultimately the all-powerful one stands the reason And he says the first and the last. And and again, this is a revelation of deity. Because there can only be one first and last. And God, Jehovah, in the Old Testament, reveals himself as the first and the last. Turn to Isaiah chapter 44. This is important because this is a revelation of deity. And this is important because today, what you will find is that the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ is under attack from all angles. Oh, he wasn't God. Oh, he was a created being. Oh, he was a great teacher. No, this is a revelation of deity. Isaiah 44, verse 6, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Who is this Jehovah's Witness? Oh, it's Jehovah. Yes, it's Jehovah. All right, uh, Jehovah's Witness, stay with me. Isaiah 48, verse 12. I say Jehovah's Witness because they attack the deity of Christ. Isaiah 48, verse 12. Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am He, the first. I am also the last. It's Jehovah. Revelation two eight. There's New Testament. And this is speaking of Christ in the context, and we've read it already in, in, in chapter number one, but we read it again in verse uh, chapter two, verse eight, and unto the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. And then Revelation twenty two, right at the end of the book. Revelation twenty two, verse twelve to thirteen. And no doubt the context, this is the Lord Jesus Christ. And behold, I come quickly, my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Can there be two first and last? No, absolutely not. So what do we do with the passages in the Old Testament in Isaiah and others that speak about Jehovah as the first and the last? And he says by his very word, beside me there is no other God. And we get to Revelation and the Lord Jesus Christ steps up and he makes the same claim. What are we to do with those two things? Are we to say that they're incompatible and there can only be one God, therefore uh, Jesus is a lesser God or something like that? Or do we look at it and say that Jesus is clearly revealing himself as God his divinity is revealed when he says I'm the Alpha the Omega the first and the last the beginning and the end there's no doubt about it the Jesus that is revealed throughout scripture but most importantly in the book of Revelation at his revealing it is indeed a revelation of deity it's a revelation of deity secondly secondly It's a revelation of authority. Look at verse 12 of Revelation, chapter number 1. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed uh, with a garment, down to the foot and gird about the paps with a chest with a golden girdle his head and his hairs were white like wool as white as snow and his eyes were as a flame of fire this is a revelation of authority and notice some of the phrases it says in the midst of the golden candlesticks what are the golden candlesticks well happily we don't have to just guess at this we can look into uh, revelation and we'll see it verse 20 Explains It says, The mystery of the seven stars which they sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which they sawest are the seven churches. So, easy peasy. Lemon squeezy. Don't have to go too far. It tells us that in the midst of the golden candlesticks is the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and that word midst there doesn't just mean... Um, in the middle. It's much more than that in the Greek. It means he is the centerpiece. It means he has the preeminence, that everything radiates around him, and he is the the, the focal point, if you like. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ, he should be at the center of the churches, of any church. The Lord Jesus Christ should be the preeminent one. And I remember in Spalding in the last church on the pulpit, The the previous pastor had put and, and written in a little laminated sheet for anybody that got up there and preached it. It would say, sir, we would see Jesus. And I was thinking about that and I thought, I'm going to get that and I'm going to put that there. Because that's who people want to see. It's not me. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's who we should come wanting to see. He should be the preeminent one. He should be the one that is in the middle. It's like Colossians tells us. He is the head of the body. The church is from beginning. The first form from the dead. Firstborn from the dead. That in all things. Again, all means all. That's all that all means. He might have the preeminence. So here Jesus Christ His revealing. He's revealed as the divine one. He's revealed as the authoritative one. He's in the midst of of the seven churches he is the very preeminent one and as he should be and then revelation one also tells us there in verse 13 like unto the son of man now son of man has a double meaning human being but also according to daniel chapter 7 you can turn there if you like it'll be up on the screen for you daniel 7 verse 13 to 14 Um, it can also then talk about an exalted heavenly one. Daniel 7 verse 13 reads this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. This is the one that is like unto the Son of Man. What else does Revelation one tell us? It tells us that he was clothed with a garment down to the foot. This is typical robes of the high priest. And of course Jesus is our high priest. We know that, don't we? Hebrews four fourteen. If you have any doubt about that. Saying we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold fast to our profession then also Revelation 1 tells us that he's clothed with a golden girdle or a golden band this is a symbol of strength of authority Uh, only those in authority would, would wear this and of course gold is the color of deity His hair, his head, and his hairs were white like wool, white as snow. There's a few in here that have got graying hairs. Just a few, Alan. But there are others that are getting there. Megal. Anybody? No, I'll stop. (laughs) Because I'm getting a few, so I'll stop. Uh, But this is different. His hair and his hairs were white as wool, uh, as white as snow. And, of course, white uh, pictures righteousness in Scripture. We'll see that all the way through Scripture. When we get into the tabernacle, we'll see that as well, that white pictures righteousness. And this is what we're seeing. And this carries a judicial idea with it. You know, this is you know, judges and their, their wigs. What color hair is it? It's not ginger. It's not black. It's white. Because it carries this judicial thought. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ that's coming back. He's coming back as judge. But a judge with all authority. His eyes were as a flame of fire. Verse 14 of Revelation 1. The Greek literally means his eyes shot fire. And what a revelation of authority this is. It's a revelation of divinity. This is God. And because he's God, it's a revelation of authority. He's coming as judge. He's not coming to save the world. He did that. He's coming to judge the world. And it's a revelation of authority. And the revelation of divinity, the revelation of authority is also a revelation of gravity. Look at verse 15. And his feet were like unto fine brass as they burned in a furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went the sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. What a revelation of gravity this is. Feet like unto fine brass. Brass speaks of judgment throughout Scripture. You'll see that particularly in the Old Testament. And again, as I've said, he's coming as judge. And that's a grave thing. And it should be a sombering thought for those that are going to face this Jesus as their judge. His voice is the sound of many waters and, and again in the Greek context and construction it, it, it literally um, gives the thought of not just a trickling thing but a, a, a huge uh, a waterfall you know you picture Niagara Falls or have you ever been around a huge waterfall and, and just been up close to it you can't hear a thing because of the power of that thing this is what's going on. This is the Lord. This is why it's so somber. And this is why it's a revelation of gravity because this isn't meek and mild Jesus that wouldn't uh, 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 say back anything to anybody. This is the judge. This is the king. This is the Lord. And, and the power that's on display is untapped. The power that's undisplayed is fully revealed. It isn't held back in any way whatsoever. When he walked this earth, his glory was filled. And thanks to be that it was. Because the sinful world couldn't take the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a revelation or unveiling. Revealing of Gravity says he has in his hand seven stars now the seven stars are interpreted for us again and in, in verse number 20 it says the seven stars which they saw that uh the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches now there's some debate amongst people that will say that these are seven angels that protect those churches and personally i just think it's the pastors of those churches the word uh, angelos just means messenger and uh, if you look at revelation chapter 2 verse 1 says unto the angel of the church of Ephesus right? These things saith he that holdeth. So I don't think it's an angelic being. I, th- I think simply it's just the pastor of these churches. And it's the Lord that has them. And, uh, you know, others may think it's a reference to angels. But, again, I would go down the line that it's pastors. I like what J. Vernon McGee wrote about this. It's made me chuckle. He said this. I like to think that it refers to the local pastors It's good to hear a pastor being called an angel. Sometimes we're called other things. (laughs) I think he's right there. And it says, Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And we have a fair idea what that is, don't we? Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, the joints and the marrow, is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart and then in Ephesians obviously take the helmet of salvation the sword of the spirit which is the word of God so the word of God is in the midst of the churches and the word of God goes out from the word of God I mean that's got to be a grave thing to think about that it is him that stands in the midst it says his countenance was as the sun shining and his strength again this is this is and uh, the Greek when you look at it it's, it's like you know if you look at the sun on a bright clear day when the sun's up, up above and you can't put like like those spotlights if I'm honest when I try and look at them it's dazzling this is the the, the, the countenance of the Lord Jesus Christ um, this is the, the the glorified Christ this is the revealed Christ now John had already got a glimpse hadn't he of the, the, the at the transfiguration Matthew uh, chapter 17 verse 1 and 2 it says after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, bringing them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. But what he's seen then was nothing compared to what he was seeing here. Absolutely nothing in comparison. And and you know because of that, like I said, it is a revelation of gravity. And here's the reaction of. The Apostle John, the one who knew Jesus intimately, knew him intimately, the one who Jesus had appeared to in his resurrected form, his disciple, his apostle, the one that knew him closest. This is how he responds to this revelation of the glorified Christ. He falls at his feet as dead. The place of worship and reverence, prostrate before the Lord. Such is the gravity of this revelation of who Christ is. And that's what the glory of God will do when the presence of Christ is felt it won't have us swinging from the rooftops. It won't have us dancing around the streets when the Holy One, when the Omnipotent One, when the All-Powerful One, where the One who created the universe and holds everything together by His will and His power and His Word steps foot into the presence of sinful people, the response is to fall on your face in worship and reverence of the great high God when we see Jesus in this form it's a revelation of gravity I tell you and maybe this has been shared before I can't remember but regardless I'll share the the first time that I went to Israel 2010 I think somewhere like that was it a long time ago and uh we were right, and, and one of the things that you do when you go on the Israel trip is you go out onto uh, um, the, the Sea of Galilee, which is just a, a serenely peaceful place. There's just something beautiful about it. When you go out and you go out onto the, the Jesus boat, which is so flippant, touristy, and cheesy, it's unreal, but that's what they call it. It's meant to be a replica of the boats that, 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 that you know Jesus went out on. But you don't do it for the boat. You just, so you go out and you get to Galilee, and you think about your Lord and your Savior. Of course you do, as He would have done those journeys many times, back and forth. And we were on the Sea of Galilee, and uh, we were all just talking and 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 you know um, just enjoying each other's fellowship. And and then something happened, where and again I'm not going all charismatic, so stand down. <laughs> But something happened where, where, where all of a sudden there was hush. And all of a sudden nobody could really look at each other or converse with each other. And, and what happened is we all just kind of drifted and started looking out to the sea and everybody was around. And, and next thing, there was a, a, a somberness and there was tears and a great sense and weight of of joy, yet complete unworthiness. And absolutely, I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ was was on that boat. And being in his presence in that way created a reaction of of revealing, yes, we've been saved and and we've been set apart and, and, and all glory to God for that, but who am I? That the Lord of glory would die for me. And that's the revelation of gravity when the Lord Jesus Christ is there. You may want to get up and dance around or do something daft, but let me tell you the weight of his presence will bring you to your knees because you are a sinful creature in front of a holy God. And John recognized the place of worship and he knew him better than any of us in that personal way. He walked with him. He ate with him. He, he, he was taught by him. And yet when the Lord Jesus Christ reveals the trueness of his glory, John falls at his feet as dead. Such is the revelation of gravity. But I love what Jesus does next. He says, fear not. Fear not. We talked about this this morning. We're not given a spirit of fear. And Jesus says, fear not. Now he gives four reasons for this. Verse 17 and 18. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. This is Revelation 1. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not. I am the first. I am the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. So, the Lord Jesus Christ gives four reasons why John's not to fear in this immense revelation of gravity. He says to him, I'm the first and the last. This speaks of Christ's eternal nature, his divinity. He's before all things. He's after all things. He's in control. And he says, I am he that liveth and was dead. It speaks of the resurrection. It speaks to the fact that we worship a risen Savior. He says, I am alive forevermore. Christ died once but now lives forever. This points us to eternal security because we have an eternal Savior. Therefore, we're eternally secure. And he says, and I have the keys of hell and death. See, the Christian need not fear hell or death, praise the Lord. Hebrews 2, verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were with all their lifetimes subject to death bondage Jesus says fear not. I'm your God I'm your God so it's a revelation or an unveiling of Christ it's a revelation of deity it's a revelation of authority it's a revelation of gravity and lastly and most importantly it's a revelation of finality Look at verse 19, Revelation 1. Write the things which I have seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So in closing, we're looking at this Divine inspiration outline for the book of Revelation. The things which thou hast seen, Revelation one, the things which are, Revelation two and three, we're gonna have a look at that. And then from Revelation 4 chapter four, all the way to the end of the book, the things that shall be hereafter. And approximately, like I said, two thirds of the book are yet future, I believe, and I firmly believe that. And we have to understand that prophecy is just history in advance. That's all it is. These events are coming. The king is returning. The saviour of revelation will appear and reveal himself as he said. There's no change in that. There's no stopping that. He's not coming back as carpenter. He's coming back as king he's not coming back to go to the cross he's coming back to put his enemies to task he's coming back to judge and judge righteously he's coming back not as the lamb to be slain but as the lion to rule this is the jesus of revelation and this unveiling of him is final there's no changing it there's no stopping it and each and every one will face him as judge If they don't accept them as saviour now. That's the reality. And whether we agree with it. Whether we accept it or not. That's what's happening. No will of man. No scheme of man. Could ever change the plan of God. And the plan of God is that the Lord Jesus Christ will come back. And return as judge. It's a revelation of finality. There's no Way out, there's no arguing out of it at this point. When this Jesus comes back, the show's over for the unbeliever. It's over. So, as we've begun the book of Revelation, we have a revelation of the Savior. Number one, it's a revelation of deity. This is God, all powerful, all knowing, all present. It's a revelation of authority. This king is also the judge and he comes to establish his kingdom, the everlasting one. And as part of that, he rules and he reigns with a rod of iron. It's a revelation of gravity. This is Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And then finally, it's a revelation of finality. The events that are here cannot be stopped. When we get into the book of Revelation further, we'll see the things that are coming are coming. And they will not be stopped. They will not be hindered. And in God's time, his perfect time, he will come again. Revelation chapter number 1, we see the Savior of Revelation and what a revelation it is. This revelation of Jesus that John had that is preserved in his inspired word, the Lord's inspired word for us. Here's what we end with this evening. For those that are believers here this evening, the revelation that John had will be a revelation that we'll have one day. Turn with me to 1 John, chapter number 3, verse 2. What a thought to close on. With this revelation of deity and authority and gravity, one day we will see him. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The saviour of Revelation is our saviour. And what John, John saw, we will see one day when he comes for us. That's right.